Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Initech. No, you're working at Initech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. Well, I'm going to and Jackson. Tomorrow, Matt Byrne on the board. S&P Futures up 27. NASDAQ Futures up 115. Very, very strange day yesterday. We had a uh, big sell-off in the morning when we were doing the show. We came back to even. Then we went to a pretty nice rally. And came back to like even again when during some of the time Powell was talking to Congress, then it went back up again and came down and closed down in the last ten minutes. So kind of all over the place without any sort of a a clue as to what today was going to bring. And now so far we're up. Do we have Mr. Lou? Yeah. Good morning. How are you? How are you? I'm. Uh, I was anxious to have you on for the find out what the story was with the the Cleveland quarterback and his settlement. I'm sitting here a. Uh, I don't even know who you can accuse, Lou. I just, I mean, I'm, there's an article here by my, Natasha Turak. T-U-R-A-K, I assume you. Um, Natasha, she must be, I don't know, what was, uh, Natasha, what was her name? Fatel? Was she Russian? Natasha, Natasha Fatel. Yeah, well, she was, she had an indeterminate accent, but it sounded East European. She sounded like our girl, uh, Angelica. A, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, Angelica's accent, of course, is authentic. Yes. Um, anyway, this is uh, this is enough to make me. I, I, I just I just wonder, Lou. Russia's ruble is at its strongest level in seven years, despite massive sanctions. Uh, can, yeah. can you can you define ineptitude? It said the 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 EU has now spent exponentially more money <clears throat> to Russia in oil, gas, and coal purchases <clears throat> than it has sent to Ukraine in aid. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it is startling that uh, the Russians actually no, are, not, this, are taking point. This is exactly, you, you know, this is exactly what uh, our former president had warned about, and specifically warned Germany about. You know, the Germans are now burning coal again. They shut their they shut well, all their new plants. <clears throat> yeah, you can't and, be, can't and be and part of the new generation. themselves in that way. So so now they have to buy. You know, they they literally made themselves dependent on on Russian energy, and can't turn the can't turn the spigot off. Okay, but don't be like one of these young people that think you can you can build a bridge in a day if, to turn on a coal plant that's been shut off for. Oh, I know. Years, what do you suppose the lead time is on that? Not to mention, where are you going to get the coal? Well, guess who produces coals in addition to <laughs> in addition to oil. You know, the Russians produce a fair amount of coal too, and it. I, I this is. I, I am generally in favor of what this administration has done with respect 
to managing the military situation in Ukraine, the actual combat type stuff, but the the rest of it is is just totally illogical. We we are now strengthening Russia's relationship with India and China, who are more than happy to buy that oil um, at at these huge increased prices. Really, there was a I, I had an interesting discussion. In 1976, I believe, when I say interesting discussion, I heard an interesting discussion with Alexander Haig, the former uh, chief of staff under uh, Reagan and the, the former commander of uh, Europe, NATO Europe. And Haig made a great comment. We were, of course, in 1976, we were staring the, you know, the Soviets down eyeball to eyeball in, in Europe, and everybody was pretty sure that's where the next world war was going to happen. But Haig said, you know, one of the most important things that we can do is to maintain our soft power, which has much more reach than our hard power does. And, and he was talking specifically in regard to energy because in 76 we had just come off, you know, three years prior to the Arab oil embargo that, that almost shut the economy down. Well, not almost shut the economy down, but, you know, jacked, jacked gas prices up to the incredible, you know, number of, uh, you know, like a dollar a gallon, but but more importantly, just made it impossible to buy gas in a lot of places. Well, that was the, so, the embargo. That was that the Israeli war, right? Yeah, right, the yeah. Young People Award. So Haig, Haig was talking about, you know, the, 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 the importance of maintaining our economic leverage and economic reach. And he said, ultimately, he said, assuming we don't get into a shooting war, ultimately that is what's going to defeat the Soviet Union. And, and of course, he was right. Um, and uh, I, I still think I, I had the pleasure of defending General Haig's deposition in uh, in the middle nineties, uh, and uh, still one of the smartest people I've ever represented. Uh, kind of scary in, in many ways, but but he this maintenance of soft power is is something that the Obama people seem to not understand. You know, Bush campaign or uh, Biden campaigns on a platform of I'm going to destroy the energy industry in the United States, that was one of our principal soft power mechanisms, in addition to the banking system and, and our overall economic engine, and he cripples it. And, and I'm going to hold him to his word. I'm going to give him the credit for what he said he was going to do, his people said they were going to do. And, and the lack of understanding and how all of this ripples down, especially when we are dealing with regimes like that in Russia or Venezuela or even Saudi Arabia. Uh, it just seems totally lost on these people. And I, 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 I throw my hands up. I'm going to talk about Deshaun Watson, too. But I'm throwing my hands up at this, saying this was totally what, what we're seeing right now with these markets and, and with the, the revenue transfer to Russia and the, the economic benefits that are now transferring to China and India was completely predictable and understandable, and and yet it seems to just escape the the, the current administration. Well, real quick, Lucas, I do want to talk about. The oh, by the way, and I want to talk. I, I did want to talk 
so so we'll throw that out there as a topic but I want to talk about our industrial capability and and what some rather frightening numbers uh, concerning our ability to supply in uh, our military and the military of other people in a conflict well I when you just real quick about little anecdotal stuff that I've learned about in the last several years on our, our power plant stuff uh, we we know that we would like to have as much renewable as we can. I don't think anybody would, is, has a problem with a windmill unless it's in your backyard, I guess, or or solar. But when you drive through Indiana and you see half on a windy day, half the windmills shut down because the grid can't accept them because Commonwealth Edison doesn't want that because they have their own stuff running. And uh, all of a sudden you decide you don't want any more coal power, and there's three plants in Chicago. And I can understand that all of them needed millions of dollars to bring them up to current standards, which which still is a little it's dirtier than a windmill, obviously. But it's you know probably not very dirty. Now, the one in Indiana, which isn't that old, and it was built to new standards, now that one's shutting down, like, as well. But when I don't... How is it that we can't keep like one of them or two of them, where we use them like one day a week or something, just to keep things running, just in case? Why does it well, always well, have to be? You know, that's the essence of the problem with renewables. And if you if you read uh, Michael Schellenberger's book Apos- Apocalypse Never, which is a, a discussion of the green movement and the environmental movement. The economics of renewables at this point, because of the way our infrastructure is set up, simply don't work on, on scale. And, and for every, if you, if you're going to build renewables right now, because we don't have storage capability, you still have to have comparable levels of power generation available in traditional fossil fuel burning or nuclear, uh, facilities. For, for when the renewables shut down, because renewables are not consistent. They're not demand sourced. You can build a, a coal-fired plant or a nuclear plant or a gas uh, turbine plant and, and scale it to what you think your demand is going to be. You can't do that with renewables because renewables stop working, and they stop the, the major ones, wind and solar, stop working at about the same time of day. And this is one of the reasons why California, which has mandated uh, tran- uh, transfer, and Germany too, and England, mandated transfers to renewables, are suffer rolling blackouts now but we also, in, in the summertime. But the grid is a half-assed thing put together by various utilities to essentially favor themselves. So you're not going to get Commonwealth Edison to pony up, and I'm not saying if I was Commonwealth Edison, I would either. You're going to get them to pony up for a high, what, what's the one where they, they, they transmit, it degrades like half or maybe like a tenth as much as over, over the regular old wires as a new technology, I don't know if it's whatever it is. You're not going to get Commonwealth Edison to pay for that between here and North Dakota so the wind can get here cheaper when it's not their wind. Exactly, and and more importantly, you're not going to pay Commonwealth Edison to invest in the kind of energy storage technology 
which we still don't have, by the way. No, we're going to pay kind of energy citizen. storage technology that is necessary so that when the renewables stop, there is a source of energy available to fill that gap. Well, I think we. I mean, it's it, it's the, the the push for, and and I I tend to agree with you. I would like to get off a of fossil fuel as fast as possible, but we are not we are not set up for it right now. The renewable push is is an anti-rational, anti-economic discussion. I, I'm waiting for what happens when our electric car situation tops the ability of the grid to to support uh, the charging that takes place uh, overnight. I would say, you know, Lou, if you give it a 15-year plan, which we are totally incapable of doing in this country, it seems. If we could do a 15-year plan, it would probably include, you know, 25 more nukes, at least one of those uh, breeder reactors to take care of the old waste, maybe two. You and, and you and you would have an awful lot more renewables, and you'd, somehow you would take the grid from the individual utilities, and you would upgrade the grid somehow. Now, whether you'd let the government do that, but I, I don't know that the, the, the grid choices should be Commonwealth Edison's. I, I agree. I, I, I would I would prefer to have the government coming in 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 this situation with the research and the development money to support and and, and the regulatory assistance to support the construction of new nuclear facilities that that can run for you know fifty uh, seventy years. Generate power safely, and and again, provide no carbon footprint, and and pump electricity into the grid safely on demand as this transition to a proper storage technology for renewables occurs. Yeah, I don't know, um, I don't know, and I would not, I would not tear down all three coal plants. I mean, I'd leave. No, I mean, I'd, I'd fix up one of them because. I mean, look, how exactly, what do you suppose the lead time? I mean, first of all, I mean, I haven't seen a coal unit train in forever. Now, are we going to start seeing them again? Are they going to New Orleans to be put on ships to head to Germany? And what, what is the lead time for Germany to turn one of these things back on and have a coal routing system back to the place? I, I don't know, but if, you know, out here in the West, we see those giant coal trains all the time. They're coming from Wyoming and Montana, yeah. where, where these huge mines are. But, yeah, you see... If you drive along I eighty through Nebraska uh, for any you know any regular basis, you will look you look over to your right and you'll see these one and a half to two mile long line of coal cars, and you you see them going up and down uh, the uh, the I twenty five corridor here in Denver between Denver, Colorado Springs, New Mexico, because there are still some coal fired plants down there, but. Some of them are on their way. You're exactly right. Some of them are on their way to New Orleans. Some of them are on their way to Houston. Some of them are on their way to to uh, Savannah, where we have you know major port facilities to to bunker that stuff and ship it out. You know, what I'm saying a lot, of it was, a lot of it was going to China. Well, I think I think China is taking the Illinois coal, the, the dirty coal. They don't care. No, they don't. They don't care. And and you know, we run into this is another aspect of. Apocalypse never, and then I want to shift to the defense industrial production issue, which your uh, investor cl- uh, callers might be interested in, their listeners might be interested in. Um, the uh, his point, Schellenberger's point is, 
or one of his points, is that it's ridiculous for the industrialized West, which has shifted from a largely a production economy to a information economy, a service economy, to now go and tell India, China, Malaysia, you know, countries in Africa, oh, by the way, you, we don't want you, we don't want you providing your people with cheap energy, which is absolutely essential for your economic development. We don't want you providing your people with cheap energy. Let us, let us, you know, put a few solar panels up and a couple of wind turbines, and uh, you should be satisfied with that. It doesn't work. They're not going to listen to us, and, and you know, maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, they're, I don't, uh... you know, they're not. I mean, and you know, for God's sake, China, China is is a communist dictatorship, and if you want, you want one thing that's characterized the communist dictatorships in, uh, you know, since since the Bolshevik Re- Revolution. They are they are one of the least ecologically or green governments and government systems the world has ever seen. They're still cleaning up in uh, they're not they're not cleaning them up in Russia. They're still cleaning up in Germany from what the what the Soviets and Eastern Europe what the Soviets left there as a result of their occupation. And the Chinese are the Chinese are no better. And, and well, the the mentality of it is government. In, in in my hood, uh, there was a, a drive. I'm going to say 25 years ago, to keep some sort, of, keep some industry in Chicago. So this corridor, they, it was it was called the uh, Kingsbury, like the corridor in there, which were all your way back in the day was all your tanning companies and everything. And Goose Island, they said, no, you can't have any houses there. It's got to all just be industrial. Well, of course, you knew that was going to end. And there was this big uh, metal uh, recycling plant there, General Iron. And they, you know, they were, they had some issues. <laughs> they weren't the cleanest, but they claimed that they were. And all of a sudden, in the people neighborhood, they read stuff in the paper like, "You believe how dirty your era was in the place?" You know what? They're gone. I can't tell the difference. I don't know how dirty it was. I don't think it probably was a little dirtier. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but it was nothing like it was during the seventies. Not that that was our be our goal. And all of a sudden, we got to shut this place down. We got to shut it down. And I think people didn't like the huge line of Hispanics every morning with their. Pickup trucks and their metal, you know, the, the guys that pick up metal in the alley just didn't belong in our hood, right? So they they say, okay, we're going to give you guys a spot over on the east side, and uh, we can do it there. So the guys construct this whole thing over there. Then all of a sudden, the African American people over there decide somebody somebody gets a hair up his behind. I don't even know where it was, whether it was close to people or not. I you know, I all of a sudden somebody says, you can't put this over here. It's, it's you're, you're denigrating black people because you didn't want it in a white neighborhood. And now you're putting it in a black neighborhood. And I'm, the city, Lou, has square miles that aren't being used. That whole the whole Stevenson corridor by the river on the south side. There is nobody there. There's nobody there. Now you can't you can't tell me you you can't find a spot for these guys. And yet everybody will tell you they want everything recycled. Well, how the hell do you recycle without a recycling facility? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the logic on this stuff, and my my uh, my architect guys that I meet once in a while tell me that the the stuff you get from there um, is 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 light is saving so much in these in these iron ranges in Minnesota and how dirty that is and how incredibly dirty it is to make steel from scratch and how much cleaner it is to make steel from the metal pellets you get from one of these places and you make you can make bridge so the only thing you can't do is make really high strength like. Like tap and die sort of steel. All your bridge girders, all your building girders can all be redone from this recycled stuff. And I, I mean, I, 
it's way cleaner than than having an open pit mining uh, iron ore place in Minnesota. Oh, I would, I would think so. And yet, we, I can't, would we, think so. we can't find a spot for these guys anywhere in the city where there's nobody left. <laughs> it, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, because if you put it, it in my neighborhood, it really, it really is. But it's, but it's again, it's, it's a function, it's a function of who screams the loudest, who screams with with the most connection to the power structure. And, and who who looks at the screaming and says, ah, I can leverage that into more power for me or for my group. And and uh, until until we do a better job of educating people through things like this radio show, educating people or podcasts, educating people about the economic choices that, you know, facilities like this have to make or the development of a nuclear power plant you know what that means in terms of your you know your pocketbook we're going to have people being elected who who set their priorities on these ideological goals that are totally unrelated to to you know economics for for the rest of us well, how and, do you... and that's that's what's happening right now I, let me let me shift one, 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 legal, issue. one legal question before you do that, Lou. Are, are people, I'll just throw the name out there, are people like Lori Lightfoot and, and maybe Ron before her, when you lead somebody on to believe, move from here, here's a spot for you, build your new place, and the day they get it done, you say, well, because these two people are squealing, we're not giving you a permit. Is there ever any personal liability and stuff like that? No, not for government officials. How? Why not? Because because the sovereign is immune as a general rule under under our law and under English common law, the the government is immune from being sued by its citizens for governmental acts, with some limited exceptions that have been set into statute, and and that's that's a, that's a very general rule, but but for example, you can't sue the federal government for its stupidity except under the very limited provisions of something called the Federal Tort Claims Act. You can't sue government officials individually in their individual capacity for actions that they're that they do as part of their job unless you can show some kind of constitutional violation and the, the courts of the courts have allowed allowed suits against individuals. So somebody can tell you so, so for example, I don't think I don't think anybody's going to be able to sue this Uvalde police chief, the guy, the guy who, who you know, who's trying to cover up every single thing that that happened in that horrific school shooting, and who who you know told people, oh, well, I, I didn't even know I was in charge when when he was the on scene commander while everybody dillied and those kids were being murdered inside that school classroom and parents were going inside and pulling their kids out. Well. Did. did you see the video? Did you see the video of them, them basically uh, arrest the uh, the woman who was trying to get in there, and then yeah. and then uh, detained physically detained the police officer dad whose daughter was inside the classroom and who was prepared to go in. It 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 all of this everything about that whole situation is is mind boggling, and and I mean. I think what's happened right now is that it's kind of disappearing from the, 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 the mainstream media, corporate media is trying to suppress the, the 
implications of this stuff because it's being seized on by Second Amendment advocates who are saying you can't rely on the police. Well, you can't. I, and, I, I would, and, I would and agree this with is that. A, this is a classic example. Well, I would, I would, I don't understand when, when we had our. Got to go to break here in a sec, but when we we had. I mean, I think everybody knows. I've mentioned it years and years ago. At PTI when people first started hacking stuff, like everybody else, we got hacked in, and now of course we tightened everything up so you can't hack anymore, and nobody lost money except us. Uh, and it was it was still going on, and the, and the client was from Dallas, and the, the the people were still hacking. So it was it was an ongoing crime scene basically. I called the city of Dallas police, and I called the state police, and I got the exact same response. What are you calling me for? Well, yeah. who else? Who, who the hell else called the FBI? How much? One hundred and fifty grand. Ah, if it's not a million, we don't do it. Then one of my clients in the north side. They got hacked for a million dollars, and the response from the FBI to them was, "If it wasn't, a, if it's not a million and a half, we don't chase it." So whatever it was, the number was higher. What do these people do all day? I mean, I, I don't. I honestly don't know. What do they do all day? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Don't get me. Don't get me started on on the FBI and and what I consider to be a total incompetent flop by the Republican uh, members of Congress. Who are voting for this uh, this new gun control or gun yeah, gun control legislation? All right, we got we got to go to break here, Louis. SP Futures FBI for hundred million. SP Futures up thirty three. Nasdaq Futures up one thirty seven. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Are you nuts? Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Lord of Opex, Tyson Jackson, Tom Matt Burn on the board. SP Futures up 30 now, NASDAQ Futures up 124. We're trying again for the rally we tried to do yesterday, but it faded on the close and we ended up down. But we were right about here all afternoon, up 30 and, uh, and, S- and NASDAQ up 125, uh, and then we, we sold off. We'll see if it hangs in today. There's 
still there's sellers above the market here. I mean, it seems like it. It's not like it was a few years ago where every dip was just a buy, but it doesn't mean we can't have a huge uh, rally here, bear market or otherwise. Dow futures up 155. Individual stocks in the Dow. Pretty much everything's in the green. Then when it's not, as McDonald's down 126. Got Microsoft up 337. Uh, Salesforce up 265. So they're, they're, they're coming around. We're in Europe, we've got the DAX down 45. These guys were all down pretty heavy yesterday. Although, uh, in the morning anyway. DAX down 45.3%. FTSE down up 19.3%. Kek around up 35.6. So kind of a mixed bag over there. Asia in the green. Nikkei up 21.8.1%. Uh, Not much there, but Shanghai up 52. It's 1.6%. Hang, Hang Seng up 265, 1.3%. Still can't shake themselves out of this very low 20,000 number. 2021, they bounce all over the place in there, but they're showing no signs of going back to the highs like a year ago, 29,000. Not even close. Uh, yesterday, we finished down 47 in the Dow, down 5 in the S&P, down 16 in the NASDAQ, and that all happened in the last really 20 minutes. Uh, bonds, down three basis points at 3.12. So they're, they're down quite a bit, this 10-year rate. Bund, uh, down, uh, 1.15, 1.47. Japan at 0.23. Uh, we've got oil is, uh, up, down 47 cents, 105.72. So they're down almost like seven or eight dollars in the last few days. Brent down 33 cents, 111.41. Natural gas down 13 cents, 6.72. Down from, like I said, a low nines. That's a big, big move in like three weeks. Our Bob unchanged at 3.82. But again, if there's no reason why these gas prices should be 585 if our Bob is 382. Uh, gold, uh, not so much on the gold, down 10 bucks, 1828. Silver down 30 cents, 2111. Copper down 7 cents, 387. And we've got Bitcoin up 585 at 20,646. So it's managing to hold over <clears throat> this 20,000 number, uh, now what do you have for us, Trevi Weather Sports? Yeah, hey, good morning. It's currently 6.34 a.m. on Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. Let's get you into sports real quick. The MLB yesterday, a Cubs win in Pittsburgh for once. Cubs 14, Pirates 5. That's pretty good there. White Sox lose to Blue Jays 5-9. to And the Diamondbacks versus Padres. Padres win 10-4. to The NHL last night, Stanley Cup. Game 4, Colorado, Colorado Avalanche versus Tampa Bay Lightning. Colorado wins the game 3-2 and leads the series 3-1. Game 5 is tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now for weather in Chicago, currently partly sunny, 67 degrees, a high of 88, and a low of 67. In Phoenix, partly cloudy, 86 degrees, a high of 109, and a low of 86. Now for traffic in Chicago, uh, currently traffic eastbound to Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Harlem Avenue. Traffic eastbound to Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue and Lawrence Avenue. Traffic westbound to Dan Ryan between 47th Street and the downtown Jane Byrne Interchange. Traffic northbound, Stevens between Route 171 and South Pulaski Road. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Um, we have the <clears throat> Energy Secretary, Lou, is meeting with uh, um, the oil executives today, and um, he's going to try and spank them for making too much money. Now, these these people, even oh, yeah. do these guys even understand how our how our um, system is supposed to work here? That if if some area is making no. too much money, the idea is other people join. They say I, I should do that too, and they jump in, and they and they close the gap. But when you l- don't let people close the gap, you're just gonna you're just gonna spank them on TV. What are you doing? I mean, what's the point? Uh, the the point. Let, let me let me just encapsulate this as best I can. The Biden administration, from the very first day, sent a message to the oil companies: we are going to shut you down. The oil companies refineries, the oil industry responded. 
by shutting refineries, converting them to renewable work, and doing a bunch of other things that essentially said, we take you at, at your word. And now the Biden people are coming to them and saying, we need you to stop doing what we it, what, what you were doing in response to our threats. Just ignore the fact that we're still going to shut you down. But we need you to ignore that and take economically risky activity in the short term so that we can look good. We being the Biden people can look good. And it is, it is just the height of foolishness and it's just, it's just another, another marker that makes this administration look like it doesn't know what it's doing with respect to basic, fundamental economic uh, well-being of, of the country. Well, the administration before, the guy begged the Saudis to, to uh, stop producing oil so the prices would go up. Oh, I know. I know. And, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to defend some of the stuff that Trump did, but, but he was not they did not declare war on the on the energy industry. No. And did not send signals to the energy industry that we're going to make your life as hard as possible and then and then proceeded to do it. If you let, me, to, let me shift gears well, here. Let me shift before, gears here real quick. Before you do that, you would raise you would raise an issue about pilot about the what was happening with the flight schedules and, and I represent a number of pilot organizations with some of the major airlines. And I can give you the insight from at least one airline. Well, you know, America has stopped four cities today. Well, well, let me tell yeah. you, let me give you the, sort of the, the show of what happened or give you a, a walkthrough of what happened within one of the big four whose, whose pilots I, I represent, a group of whose pilots I represent, about, about a thousand of them. So when the, when the, shutdown, the economic shutdown happened, you know, they, they started reducing flights almost immediately, which meant that they had a lot of their people go what's called non-current. They, they did not, and, and, and they were, these were the junior seniority people because the way their union contracts work, you, you, when you start losing flights, the first guys that, that lose, uh, lose flights and lose the opportunity to earn revenue are the youngest people, the newest people into the organization with the lowest seniority. Most of those people were first officers. They were not captains. So you've got first officers is a co-pilot, right seat guy. Captain is the pilot, left seat guy on, on a, on a major uh, airliner. Um, most of those guys were first officers. So, so, and, and, and you don't swap between pilot and co-pilot. First officer duties and captain duties are different. This is another union function, but also a safety of flight function. And so, as they start to ramp back up from from the uh, coronavirus issue, they suddenly have a shortfall of people who can fly in the right seat, and they can't fly the airplanes with just one person. So, so now they have to. They started to uh, a move to to train a bunch of their first officers. Into, or, uh, sorry, a bunch of their captains into first officer duties. So there was a, a huge rush of captain, low seniority captains who were being retrained into first officer positions so that they could fly the aircraft that they had. In the meantime, right, they're don't, don't trying to, they're trying to bring these first officers that they furloughed, they're trying to bring these guys back current 
in their and their training system can't handle the load for both. <laughs> At the same time, the the airlines decide as the economy recovers. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go back to full schedules, and we're gonna try to do it by the summer of of twenty twenty two because people there's all this pent up travel demand and and we're not requiring masks anymore, so we're gonna we're gonna re- put our full schedule in place. The pilots' unions, and, and you saw this protest at Delta yesterday, I believe. The pilots' unions have been saying, "You don't have the capacity, in terms of flight crew, to be able to do this." And and this is what this is what's killing them. The the uh, staffing requirements for these airplanes are set both by federal law and by their union contracts as to how many hours these uh, these guys can fly a month, and and you know things like crew rest and, and stuff like that, and they do not have the bodies. They don't have enough first officers that that can staff the seats, and they don't have enough captains because they flooded their training system with captains who who are now no longer qualified to be captains because they've been training to be first officers. And so you have this rebound effect between these two key positions on these airliners. As well, we got too many first officers in training and we don't have enough captains available we need to pull the captains that we put into training as first officers pull them back out of that and get them trained as captains and at the same time we have to recertify all of our furloughed first officers to get them back into the cockpit our training capacity is not able to do that fast enough and and the management team then says we're going to ignore the fact that we have this huge bottleneck in our training, and we're going to schedule the flights anyway, and we'll just make it work. All right, so if I get that's hired... A, that's what's all happening. All right, let me, let me get this straight. There's something weird about this. If I get hired as a first officer, which I probably would, right, first spot, I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to land and take off the plane once in a while, right, obviously. Uh, so I'm going to learn, and then I'm, going to, I'm going to get promoted at some point over to captain. Well, how, why, why, do, why do I lose my ability to remember what I just did in the right seat last week? You're no longer you're no longer certified. You're no longer certified in that position, and and the the union contracts and and well, terms good. and conditions of work require that you go through a specific certification and you take a flight check ride. You, the positions are not just swappable. Why not? Be, because because the union contracts require a certain level of training. And certification for for each seat. Well, so what, you, don't, what, you can't just walk somebody over to the other seat. I understand drop that, them in there and say you're good to go. Why can't I? Why can't I maintain my qualifications in both? It doesn't seem like it'd be that difficult. Um, their their system is not designed for that. There's a very rigid promotion system that the union contracts require, and and that's and, and for airline pilots, this is all driven by seniority, and and that seniority system is. Absolutely rigid, and so and so you are you're not in a position where you can just move people from one side of the aircraft to the other. Um, I'll add a little bit to this, uh, Lou. When I was at the University of Chicago, being a dunderhead like I always am. Now wait a minute. This was back when airplanes had two wings. Uh, so let let's make sure we're not we're not crossing up too much here. Uh, what I'm saying is a they uh, did you you've heard of a regression analysis? I'm sure. Yes, I have. Uh, well, then, when you go further than that, you get into quadratic programming, which is very, very difficult and something that, you know, I mean, only a few people know how to do. 
But when you go further than that, you get into integer programming. Now, I know you probably surprised me. Tell me you know what that is. I think I studied that in my statistics courses at Air Force, but I couldn't tell you. No, no, no. no. I it's it has nothing, it has right off the bat. It has nothing to do with statistics. If you, if you, if you do uh, linear programming and any of the quadratic programming, your answers can be essentially in fractions or in decimals, right? So you can you can come out with four and a half gallons, and that would be your whatever you do, right? Well, integer programming is different because you have to end up the, the, the solution has to be a whole number. You can't show up with half a pilot. So oh, you, yes, so, okay, sorry. So when, I, when you start, I understand what you're saying. So when you start yes, doing we did, these, we did we did actually talk about that because it was in the context of airplanes. Yeah, because when you start doing pilot and crew scheduling. You can't show up with half a loo. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. incredibly more difficult to do. It's, it's, it's sort of like one of the hardest, and, and I, don't, I don't know the definition, Lou, you know more about this. I mean, there, there, there's different types of mathematics where there, you don't always end up with an answer. Like you and I, we're good at algebra and those kinds of things. I mean, there is an answer, right? You're supposed to get. And when you start doing st- stuff like uh, coloring problems, well, right. What's a coloring problem? I know I'm off the, off the chart here, David. A coloring problem is that one of the hardest things in math to solve is, is they call it the salesman coloring problem. You're you're selling sports equipment. You pull out of your 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 house in Flint, Michigan, and you've got to go see 15 high school coaches over the next two days to try and get the correct the best route that you can take to connect all 15 of them is one of the most difficult things ever tried to do in mathematics. So the combination of the integer part, we got to show up with a half a pilot, and the idea that these kinds of coloring problems are very difficult to start with means that a lot of really smart people and PhDs in this stuff work for airlines just because they try and get, and this pilot has to sleep six hours. To get all these people together where they're supposed to be is an amazing deal. It's an amazing right, and deal. That's, that's why, and that's why it's so important to have a surplus. Yeah. Of, of bodies that are available and pre-positioned in various airports so that you can pluck people out as these sudden shortfalls develop. They well, don't have that anymore. Well, plus you're American and United. That, they don't have that shortfall capability. Well, at least in Southwest, they fly all the same kind of planes. And I think the same person's checked out on virtually every 737 except maybe the MAX. But if you're on United... You'll see a 757 pilot walk right by a 767, needing a needing a pilot. He's not hopping in, right? Absolutely right, correct. Right, you got to do you got to do uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, and you got to do the uh, uh, whatever defense defense industry yeah, yeah. stuff. Okay, so Deshaun Watson settles 20 of the 24, soon to be 26 lawsuits. Um, you've got four four players who four women who are apparently adamant that they want to go to trial and. Which I I think just means that he hasn't put enough money in front of him. Um, when you settle a lawsuit like this, the the balancing test is something like, how much do you think a jury's going to give you, and um, how much is it going to cost to go through the trial process? Well, without and, being too gra- and, graphic and here, we're we're talking about inappropriate behavior. We're not talking we're talking about full blown rape, correct? No, no, there's no rape. It was you know. So how much? How much are you going to, you know, can you likely recover? And so if you, if the demand, for example, by one of these women is $10 million, if I'm Watson's people, I'm going to say, well, we'll, we'll try that case. 
Yeah, because you're not going to get you're not going to get ten million dollars from a from a Texas jury on something like this. Um, <clears throat> at least we don't think you will. So, so it's likely it's just likely a matter of of money and and how much you know how much money they want to try to extract from them. There may be a pound of flesh part of this analysis, and by that I mean some non-monetary connection where this one of these women may be pumped up enough by her counsel to to think, I'm going to set the standard, we're going to take down the National Football League, I hate football players, whatever. And she, she may, for her, this may be uh, a crusade. Um, you know, if I'm her counsel, I'm, I'm trying to moderate that because principles are very expensive to litigate and they are, they are potentially problematic in terms of what a jury is likely to do. If, if you can still, in, in a situation like this where it, the, the conduct was inappropriate, uh, but, but didn't, you know, you didn't try to grab her or physically restrain anybody, at least as far as I know, he did try to, you know, push people's hands into various positions, but it wasn't like he pinned somebody up against a wall, beat them or something like that. At some point, a, you run the risk of a jury. If you go in there and say, you know, the emotional distress for this person is is so bad, at some point the jury is going to look at the client, the uh, the plaintiff, and say, you're just in here for money, and and we're not going to give you that much. And so, if you're if you're her her uh, a litigation team. You're, you're trying to work it so that you get the maximum amount for the buck, you get the forced public apology, you get whatever emotional satisfaction you can derive out of this, and then you try to get the client to say, that's enough. You're not going to get any more. It doesn't make sense for us to try this case and risk what we've got on the table in front of us. That point has not been reached yet with these with these four these four women. Well, plus, and, I mean, um, no, if nobody's hurt, it's pretty hard no, to push. But, you know, but I think I think the attorneys may be looking at this and, and may have told her these women these four women this may have told them this from the perspective of of a potential payout from the football club as well as Watson. And where that's that, where this is going. That's me. My now. next question is. Uh, is is the football club off the hook on the twenty that he settled with? Yes, the football club will be off the hook on tw- on those twenty settlements. But I think I think they are they look at at um, the potential involvement of the Texas the Houston Texan security people and and you know God knows who else uh, that, that knew that Watson had this problem and was doing this kind of stuff. Um, I think they look at that and say to themselves, we might be able to milk another two to five million dollars out of the Texans for you know whatever they may have discovered in the course of the litigation that the Texans have insurance and if they have insurance then they will try to tap into that and that further ramps up the potential for for settlement well yeah I mean what's the I uh, boy at the risk of needing my attorney you uh, you know I, Obviously, a massage therapist is, is a real job. I mean, it's not—it's not like it isn't, but it's—it's it's not as a uh, shall we say. It's, we're not—we're not talking like a nineteen-year-old divinity student. They're not as 
sympathetic of no, a, but the, a the entire the entire industry has a certain uh, aura of of sexual uh, release and sexual uh, services that that yeah it's it's there. Yeah, well, I, I had three massages up at the club, and I never. <laughs> it was just just the, no, I, but you're yeah, no, but you're not. That that's right, but that's a different kind of setting than what this guy was doing, and 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 in yeah. addition, what he was doing apparently was looking for people who were, I think, acting as independent contractors with with massage agencies and looking for masseuses that he was going to be able to to get to you know touch him or handle him in a certain way, and you know. I don't. Again, the Texans, the Texans may well be on the hook for some aspect of this because they knew, or at least in the minds of a, of a jury, because they knew about it. They they tried to protect him without anybody sitting him down and saying, "You're acting like a creepo or a pervert, and you can't do this. You're putting well, maybe yourself maybe at risk." Maybe he wasn't acting like one. Maybe he is one. Well, that's you know. I, I leave that for somebody else. The, the his a I don't know what his agent knew, but but you know at some point because this is the entertainment business. At some point, you you cross a line where where the value of the player and, and his services uh, is such that you you have to step back and say what you're bringing to the table here with all of your athletic talent. Your individual, you know, preferences are problematic for us, and it's got to it's got to stop. But but nobody nobody had the ability or the willingness to uh, to do that. And and well, how do you how do you so compare this see, with the uh, see this roll out now? How do you compare this with the the congressional call now to do something with but the remove the Guardians guy from the or the, the well Redskins now Guardians no Redskins are who they're uh, what. Redskins or what? I, uh, I can't. I, I call them the Commodores. Yeah, the yeah. Commanders. All right. I, think, uh, I just call them the Commodores because I think I, I can't keep Guardians, Commodores, Commanders, yeah. Chieftains, you know, potentates, whatever. And then there's the, the hockey team. It's the, the the Greek god. Those guys. The uh, anyway. But but I saw some lady congresswoman chirping that they got to remove that guy from his spot. How, how do they get to? They're not going to do that. How can they take a guy's well, something he owns away from him? Yeah, they're, they're not going to do that. Why? Why would they? I mean, I'm, uh, you know, this is just this is just blathering, and and uh, yeah, I don't I don't the situation with the Washington Football Club, the the potentates, is a private business matter. the The NFL operates under a under some legal protections but you know the the conduct of an individual owner with his employees is a private litigation matter that that needs to be taken up i mean the biggest the biggest problem that the redskins have or the potentates have right now is that they had a bunch of women who were allegedly sexually harassed <clears throat> did not do anything about it when it happened lost their ability to sue and are now raising as much hell as they can in an effort to get a payout or some kind of payday, 
even though the statute of limitations has long run on their conduct. And and I'm I have every bit of sympathy for these people because I, I was involved in these cases for you know, for years. And yet the the short answer is this is not something that, that this owner needs to be called called into account for. And and that's why that's why Goodell, I mean, they're gonna try to subpoena apparently they're gonna try to subpoena Snyder to demand that he come in. That's why Goodell was there testifying yesterday. Uh, you know, right, the, right, the tell short, us about the short, Tell us about the, uh, the companies. Short answer is it's not it's not a congressional issue. All right, tell me uh, tell me about the companies we can make some money on here. Well, remember I told this. You're going to laugh at this. I, you asked me one time about ten years ago what I would do if I was an investor, and I said I'm the wrong guy to ask about that. But if I were your people, I would be investing in defense stocks um, because we're going to have to re-equip our military. As soon as you started this conversation, the, I remembered that. I remember you, the word was 10 years from now, who are going to be companies, good companies, still here, still making money, and you zeroed into the defense area, and I remember Kathy, uh, I guess hoping that people are still, whatever, zeroed into the, like the toilet paper companies, the soap companies, figured figured people are still going to be taking a bath. So, yeah, there was definitely a, a, a diversion there. So, so let me, let me just let you, give you sort of a, a, a tip here. We have used up roughly a third of our Javelin anti-tank missiles that we have in our inventory. So we've sent about, I think, something like seven or 8,000 of those things over to Ukraine. Ukraine claims to be using, you know, between a couple of hundred of these things a week in terms of shooting at targets, which I don't, I don't believe. But, but that's what they claim the burn rate is. And regardless, we've depleted our stock by about a third. They only make 2,000 of those things a year. And so, and so we're now looking at a situation where it's going to take us three, three to four years just to replenish what we've given them up to now. And, and that pipeline is still open. This is true of, of a bunch of our, our stuff. Right now, at the, at the rate that, that the Russians and Ukrainians are going through ammunition, we would burn through our annual production of artillery shells in seven days. Well, and and even and even if that number from the Russians is off by fifty percent, we would burn through our annual production in three weeks. We we have we do not have the defense industrial base to resupply our both both our allies or ourselves in the event of a of a major or not even major conflict, <clears throat> and and that's that's an issue. And so, you know, this goes for, this goes for, never, never mind the airplanes and the, and the tanks. The stuff that they shoot, we, we have to be able to produce. Lou, next and, week, let's put some, a out. lot of it. And we're, and we're not there yet. And I think this is going to be a wake up call for a lot of these industries. Uh, next week, let's put some names to this. I mean, who does this stuff? And, I mean, and I'll try, I'll try and get some stats from World War II and how quickly when you want to, you can ramp up. Do we want to, or do we just keep wandering? I mean, I, I just, I sense we're just wandering, but. Well, we're gonna, we're ramping, I mean, we are at production right now. I, the, the, a lot of the components on these things have to be hand assembled. So, so ramping this up is not something you just, you just do like a coal plant. Yeah. It's not something you just turn on. No, well, but a lot of, all this stuff is way more complicated than people think it is, Lou. I mean, anyway, you have a good weekend, buddy. Take care of yourself. SP Futures up 28, and Nasdaq Futures up 115. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas.
This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Did you know there are fewer professional traders than there are professional athletes? Given the tough demands and rapidly changing market environment, where the only constant is change, Fari Hamzi, founder and president of Hamzi Analytics, is truly a professional trader. Having a top 10 ranking as an astute market timer on Timer Digest for the past decade to go along with 20 years of trading experience, Fari is using his expertise to provide a platform where technology meets experience and Fari's tools are battle-tested in the most volatile market conditions. His proprietary indicators are embedded in TradeStation and eSignal trading platforms, measuring the money flow of large institutions while providing an in-depth analysis of what is taking place in the market and what it means going forward. Remember, smart traders never look at the price of an investment, but rather the cost of a missed opportunity. Visit HamziAnalytics.com to learn more. That's HamziAnalytics, H-A-M-Z-E-I Analytics.com. Support the Stocks and Jocks team. Hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, jackets, and Chief's favorite, the Stocks and Jocks ladies thong, all available at our online store. Just go to StocksandJocks.com and click the link to order any amount of great Stocks and Jocks merchandise for yourself and any other Stocks and Jocks listener in your life. The prices are affordable and the selection is out of the park. The Stocks and Jocks online store at StocksandJocks.com. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tim Allen. Matt Burn on the board. S&P futures up 26, NASDAQ futures up 107. Do we have Mr. Dan with us? Yes. Dan, how are you, buddy? I just saw this thing on CNBC that autonomous taxi rides are starting, and I didn't see where they're starting, but I got news for you, bud. I'm not getting in a car without a driver. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Once there's an off switch in the back seat somewhere, I'm out on that deal for like a couple of decades. Yeah, <laughs> just, I think so. <laughs> just saying. So how are you? Good, good, good. Uh, you have to explain to me, what the hell did yesterday mean? We're, we're way down in the morning, then we fly way up like it's gonna be the, the turn of the world, and then we kinda bump around while, what's his name's talking, uh, and then we slide down in the clothes like we fell off a little cliff and actually closed down a little bit. I, I, I'm sitting there going, I can't tell, if this, is this, is this bullish, bearish, n- neither, what is this? I think you hit it. I think you hit it on the head. I think there's there's definitely some confusion in the market. 
you know, the, the little bit of a rally we've seen the last few days, I think, has been a you know a, a result of maybe an over overshooting on the downside, and, and people are looking at opportunities. I think the, the situation right now, though, is is um, investors are are you know somewhat uncertain about where they should be buying, and you know should they be buying the names like the GoGo tech names that have sold down or should they be looking at new names like for example some that we've mentioned that would be good longer term plays here that might you know provide a little more yield um, so I think there's there's some ambivalence in the market and there's also some mixed signals if you will as well if you look for example at um, the fact that treasury rates have come down I understand it as a bond manager but it can be quite confusing to people why have we seen rates come down and it's really been a lot it's been a flight to quality it's been a lot of u.s and foreign buyers stepping in and buying treasuries so if anything uh, investors are buying for the for the low risk for the you know to stock some money away and part of the problem tom is that people haven't figured out yet are we at a point where it makes sense to buy treasuries in other words since the fed has indicated that they'll be continued continuing to raise rates is this too early in other words are you going to get whipsawed especially if you're buying long treasuries so as we've mentioned before stay on the short end um and wait a little while because after i think we'll have much more information after the july fed meeting we'll know where we're going the other thing obviously the other thing that's come down a little bit that we've watched come down a few a few pennies uh, are gas prices and people are wondering whether you know things have turned in here we don't necessarily think that things have turned, but we do think that we're not going to see the same acceleration in inflation that we've seen. So, you know, prices will remain high, but we're not necessarily going to see the, the same acceleration that we've seen um, in recent months. And one other note that I'll make that seems to be um, uh, a big factor, and we don't see it here in Florida, we're kind of, you know, we have a housing market that's still on fire here, but housing numbers have come out you know, and for the first time have been relatively negative, whether it be, you know, new 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 houses, housing starts, housing construction, uh, mortgages because of higher rates. So people are wondering, well, you know, how are we starting to see a little bit of this softening? Is it maybe time to, you know, to, to step in to maybe some of the higher quality names? And I would say, you know, in a small way, yes, but I would not be jumping in with both feet right here if you have cash. Well, Dan, it's uh, we we look at this sometimes a, a little bit differently, and I'm going to say that when the the TLT, which is the ETF for the bonds, right, right. was you know 130 something, 140, uh, second time in my lifetime. The first was in the 80s when the when the eight and a half percent bond was trading 66, which which put it at what 12 and a half, 13 percent, the 30 year bond. Yeah, it was you know it was it was the best generational buy, I mean, ever. <laughs> just buy that <laughs> buy right. well now when these things were at 135 140 I told all my clients this is the best generational sell since 1982 for God's sake and yet I've been short these things since on and off since uh, 140 and I'm going to say it's been the most difficult trade and I've, I've, I think I've barely broke even because Every single time you listen to one of these guys that come on the air and they give you this this uh, hawkish thing, and then you look at the numbers, the Fed actually poured a lot more money back into their balance sheet last week with the market going down. 
Right. You, you're, you're, what you're seeing in the bonds here is nothing more than this two-faced guy telling you one thing and doing exactly the opposite. They're not going to let, to this day, the, the market is more important to them than inflation. And so you see a big run-up in their balance sheet last week, almost back up to record levels. And, and, and bingo, that's where the the, the the 10-year rate starts coming down. And and I know uh, we have more important stuff to talk about, but if you listen to Hal Snar the other day, he, Professor, he goes, this is this is such such incredible BS that that the Fed has managed an incredibly negative interest rate that they that they've parceled out to other people so they can charge other people a real interest rate. I mean, there's people in this country that've been buying it like a minus five percent real interest rate for how many years now? And right now, right now, what is it? Minus eight percent? I mean, what what are we doing there and here? I mean, I, it, it's hard to trade. I don't trust these people, and uh, but that doesn't mean we can't make money. Right? No, absolutely. And, and I think you know, like our approach, especially staying you know staying clear of of uh, the treasury market right now, and really focusing on some of the you know sort of the non highly correlated um, income um, instruments like we've spoken before. That whether it be the REITs or the you know the high dividend paying stocks or the utilities or the you know some of the um, other income generating um, investments that don't necessarily track the, the treasury market that don't necessarily track the, the, the you know US equity market um, one one um, point that's worth mentioning even just since last week the spread on the, the high yield the average spread on a high yield um, of a high yield bond that is the difference in the yield between the high yield the average high yield bond yield and the average Treasury at the same maturity has now widened out to 520. So it's 520, 5.2% more. You're getting paid more now to hold the um, high yield bond than you were a week ago when it was 480, which is the historic average, and then just a couple weeks ago when it was 380. So this is something that kind of creeps up. You don't hear a lot of talk on it. But as an, having been a high yield manager for my whole career, I would say that this is a significant measure and what it's showing is uh signs of softness and credit um we might be a little bit early but but that's definitely something that we're seeing at this point it's also showing potential signs of opportunity in the credit market now one other thing that goes hand in hand with this spread is liquidity and liquidity has come down so there you know the spread between the bid and the offer is is definitely wider on a lot of high yield bonds um, it's a little bit more difficult to trade them than it was in the past. Historically, if we might be, you know, close to where liquidity should be historically, we were, went through a period of very high liquidity, so it was very easy to sell pretty much any high yield bond, even the, the most illiquid. But, but we are moving in the direction of less liquidity. We're moving in the direction of more spread. Um, and that, just means that those are just indications of a softer credit market. Dan, to your, um, to your knowledge, um, when the Fed was doing their, their, whatever they call it, the quantitative easing, uh, they were actually buying mortgage mortgage mortgages or packages of mortgages. Yes. Yes. Were, were they also buying some stuff in the high yield? Because I'm wondering if, if the reason why the mortgage and the high yield spread is popping over to Treasury right now is I think they've sort of stopped doing that, and they're just buying the treasuries. Do you think that's part of it? Yes, that's that's absolutely part of it. They weren't necessarily buying the high quality high um, high yield 
They were buying some investment grade corporates in that sort of double B, triple B range that that are uh, the crossover range. And so, absolutely, yeah, that that's, they stopped that. They stopped the mortgages altogether, and that is part of it. I think that is absolutely part of it. But I think that also goes hand in hand with with investors sort of stepping away. I know there was some talk yesterday about high yield ETFs, and you know some of them have been under pressure. But there's no real reason to be buying high yield. In fact, from my point of view, it's better to sit a little bit on the sidelines here, you know, maybe buy some of that short nine-month paper that we talked about last week, um, and then step in um, as the, the yields widen, because I don't think we're talking about a high default scenario. Now, you've got to be careful. You've got to stay in the, the better names, the higher quality names in this market, and I'd probably say the same holds true with mortgages, but if you also look at what's happening, you know, on the mortgage side with rates going higher... I think there's a national tendency to believe that the fall rates will pick up on the mortgage side as well. Um, I don't think that's happened yet, but that's just, I think that's just perception. Yeah, I think you've shaken out a, you're so impressive, you've shaken out a question or two from uh, the professor. Uh, why don't you read a couple of those off, uh, or at yeah, least one? We got a question from uh, uh, from Hal Snar, from the uh, guest yesterday. Uh, here's a question for you. In the absence of the Fed, what would clear banking transactions in a truly free market that's the first question. The second question is, is the Fed, in terms of clearing transactions, not unlike the easy pay system used on the turnpike? <laughs> <laughs> I like the second question, yeah. Um, I, would, I would say not. it's not unlikely. I mean, if, if, if we were in a free market, I mean, think, I think of high yield as being in a free market because it's not as directly tied to, to the Fed. I think that you would have a true, you know, you would have a true market of supply and demand, and you would not have this influence that is what I would call, um, you know, to a certain degree political that's interfering with the, you know, the market trading at free market, you know, at fair market values. So if anything, I would say that it interferes with, with the, the fair market value um, of those securities, and it's a little bit harder to measure when you have this other influence, which is not necessarily, um, you know, in line with what is going on. And really not necessarily, you know, in, in the case of the Fed recently, it's been lagging. You know, their response has been lagging. So, um, you know, I think that, the, you know, maybe the bottom answer to both of those is just that, yeah, that they have a little probably too much power and a little bit too much control over the market than they should. And I look at a market like, for example, the high-yield bond market that seems to trade in what I can understand much better um, than trying to understand what's going on with, Say the treasury market, and um, so uh, yes, I would agree. Yeah, did you ever? Did it, can anybody ever figure out when they were doing it what exactly they were buying? I mean, you're, you're closer to this than me. I mean, could you? I mean, did you ever know even a week later or a month later which which part of the of the corporates they were buying? Uh, I mean, somebody obviously did, so they get ahead of them and sell them to them. But uh, I never, I, I never saw that level of detail. I could never figure out where they were buying the margin. Or he, who was putting together the packages? I mean, it had to be a interest little interest, and who, who got the service contracts on them on everything? I mean, it it had to be highly lucrative if you were involved. Yeah, and I would think there, there's probably a reason that that wasn't um, that wasn't public information. That oftentimes the, uh, they could be going to a specific dealer. You know, they could go into a specific company um, or a specific pool of companies um, and doing. Trading directly, um, I don't know that it was traded in the, in the you know in the free market, if you will. 
I don't know if it's traded in the secondary market, those trades were done, or whether they were, you know, there was, they were one-off trades with particular companies that had, um, you know, that they had, that they had, um, you know, picked out, um, specifically. So, so I agree with you. There is, there is some lack of transparency. And I'm sure that's your company. Benefit. Danny, you got to move to a different spot in the room. You're kind of breaking up all over. Okay. We want to hear. Every, yeah, we want to hear every word. Sounds great. There you go. Sure. Yeah, I think there may have been a, a lack of transparency, and there may be certain companies that they had, like at least on the corporate bond side, or even on the mortgage bond side, that they may have identified some you know specifics rather than just going out into the secondary market to make their to do their trading. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, there's always there's always people involved, and plus I think they pay commissions on both sides too, which is even better. How, how, how do we get in that loop? I mean, how do we get in that business? I don't know. How, how could you screw up? I mean, it would, right. I mean, I agree. Uh, okay. So, uh, you, any names? Uh, I know we're we're kind of both on an agreement here. You might want to pause here for a month or so, at least till the July meeting, and see where before you pile into a fixed income. Yeah. But it seems like yeah, uh, there is one name that we've been. We've been um, working on that we already own, but we 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 like, and the more the more work we do on it, you know, we like like even more. We're going to be meeting with management on Monday, so I'll have more news next week. But I've mentioned them in the past, and it's Spire, S P I R E, ticker symbol is S R. But we're talking about the preferred here. It's S R P R A, and the dividend yield currently is six twenty. It's a gas company, so uh, it's in a sector that I think. Is uh, makes a lot of sense to have investment right now. It's a preferred, accumulative preferred that has uh, $25 par value that's trading around 24 and a quarter. So anytime you can buy a, a, a solid name like Spire um, on the preferred side at a discount to par, you're making money. Um, and we so we like this name. We've talked in the past. They're... Um, this particular company is based in St. Louis. Their their gas business is predominantly in um, Missouri, Alabama, and a little bit in Mississippi. They do gas storage, which I think is a great business right now. <laughs> they own their gas storage facilities, but they also do marketing like some other gas companies in transmission. One other name that is similar, that's yeah. trading in a similar fashion that we've mentioned before, is yeah, Super Soup for the Soul Preferred. Yeah, before you go into they that. also have a $25 um, power value when they're trading around 23 right now, and they pay like nine and three quarters. Um, I don't think the story is exciting from a growth point of view, but I think the preferred is giving you a fair amount of yield. In fact, I think you're getting more than fairly paid for the credit risk you're taking. Um, the Spire, when you say they do gas storage, are they like underground gas storage or you just put the gas down there? Or are they talking about LNG facilities where they're, where they're compressing it and everything? Yeah, they have facilities in, um, Wyoming that they, that they own and, um, operate and that's their, that's where they're sourcing the gas, but they store it there and there's actually, you know, a benefit to, to owning the, so owning those facilities um, as well, you know, from a both from an asset point of view, if you're looking at it more like a bond, um, but also right now in this environment, uh, being able to store and source gasoline uh, is very, you know, I mean, um, natural there, gas is very important. Is there anything you've come across? Uh, this is more of, I guess, a company type of question. 
since you seem to be all over these guys uh, uh, in a good way. What is there any is there anything happening in the LNG uh, area that is interesting? It seems like I mean Europe and all these people. I haven't, despite everybody trying to increase their exports of natural gas, I haven't haven't really heard any articles or anything saying these four or five companies are leading the charge, and you got to get in them. Have you? Not so much. I mean, there was a company called LSB Industries that did have, you know, did did um, work in that area that did have a bond that I'm not even sure if the bond is still outstanding, but that was that was a company that, you know, I, I want to say the bond was like nine or nine and a quarter. Um, I do know that they're talking with some of the utilities, the CEOs of the utilities recently, both, both from the electric utility side where they source natural gas and then also from the gas company side that there's more push towards the, the you know, the, the uh, regulated, um, you know, the LNG, but also the regulated NG, the RNG, and there's a lot of demand for RNG right now, and that's, that's sort of a, an area for the future, but I think, again, these companies that are already in the business are the best poised to be able to produce that um, and manage that better than, say, a new startup, for example. So that will be you know, sort of a shift towards the clean energy area. And and I think as time goes on, those will be names to pay attention to. So um, we talked about, we've talked about uh, a couple of the utility names. Um, even Black Hills is currently in the process of doing that. Um, we're talking about uh, Spire is in the process of doing that. So there's going to be even more demand um, for from an export point of view, but also... Um, locally here in the states, I think as well. So that that's going to be where the area to pay attention to going forward. Again, I would not do a pure play or a startup in that area. I would look for a company that's established in the electric utility space or in the gas space already that has moved into the RNG space. So nobody who has like you know fifty newly designed ships on order and three different places to, to put the stuff and go into Europe and they're going to make a Ford nothing like that. I haven't heard it either, even though... No, I haven't, that, that, I, that I haven't heard yet, although there's certainly a demand, you know, there should be a demand for it. That demand should, should be, uh, I think that demand should be picking up as time goes on. Well, they just keep buying the same stuff from Russia. The ruble's higher than it was when the war started. Yeah, and, and their, their gas, uh, what do you call it, their gas exports are higher as well, which, oh, yeah. is, which is really interesting how, how that happened. Yeah, this is this has not been the best managed situation, and, and you know, for somebody who's been in the, you know, as a high yield manager who's who understands the oil industry fairly well, I mean, not as well as somebody in the industry, but I would say that you know, our natural production here in the U.S. really makes a lot of sense, and and there should be a very, um, you know, ideally there'd be a favorable relationship, which will keep, um, you know, which will keep some investment. And for example, the refineries and you know, and some of the new drilling sites um, that would you know. And again, you can't really talk in hindsight what should have you know what could have or should have been said. But I think trying to make to build those relationships in a positive way, I don't know if it's too late, but it, to me, it makes it really makes the most sense because we do have those resources right here. And I think, and in, in, you know, on so many different levels, it makes sense for. For us to take advantage of that, or for us to be using yeah. those resources, in the, at least you know in the near term. Yeah, we dropped down in 2020 when the oil got down to you know 30 bucks a barrel or less. We got yeah. down to like 200. This you see this whole chart here. We're going back to 1973. 
it's it's been a boom and bust industry forever. You know, we, 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 always right. But we're, we're we're creeping back from two fifty rigs, and it's got to be like uh, halfway through twenty twenty. So say August, probably August, and we're up to like six sixty two, and we're kind of pumping away at somewhere twenty five thirty new rigs a month. Who's uh? I mean, sort of on average here, but uh, maybe twenty or twenty five. Who's who's making? I mean, who's Who's in, who's behind that? Who's the who are the companies that are? Is this is this Halbert? Is it Slumberjay? I mean, is it every? Yeah, I mean, uh, right. All of the majors are going to are going to participate because they're the ones who are going to be um, they're the ones who are going to be setting or, or coming to you know making agreements with their customers on what they call day rates for and day rates have gone up tremendously. I think I've seen them as high as four hundred dollars, where they were just a hundred dollars, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, they're also, those rigs are operating at, um, much higher levels of capacity than ever in the past. And a couple of the rig names, um, you know, Transocean is one, ticker symbol rig. Um, they, you know, I don't know if it's too late to get in there, but that's a, that's a company that we've owned in the past, both on the bond side and the equity side. And then we've talked a little bit in the past about Noble. Uh, Noble is a name that we've owned as a bond. They went through a restructuring and their equity is uh, came out around 25 um, last year. It's trading in the 30s. It's had a recent sell-off, so um, that would be one worth taking a closer look at what's right a, now. What's, a, what's the ticker um, on that? The stock has sold off uh, the last week or so, like more than 10%. What's the ticker? With the sell-off in energy prices. But they're very well positioned um, going forward. Their rigs are like the highest, the most technologically advanced. They're also, they also have a global presence. They're not just based in one particular region, but they're all over the world. And they, they work directly with, say, you know, say an Exxon or Schlumberger. Um, so their, their customer base, I would say, is mixed. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're, they're well positioned in this environment. It's going to, they, they're continuing to see high demand, um, what, uh, to drill. So. Can you educate us then? What what exactly do they consider to be a rig? I mean, it's not some some little pump on a farm in Oklahoma. It's got to be, and it's not fr- they're not the fracking. So, what what exactly offshore. is a rig? I'm what, thinking of offshore in my head, but I don't think they're all offshore. But it's still, it's no. Uh, and so you're talking about it's a real, it's a big deal. It's not some little pump. I mean, it's a. I just it's wonder big, what. Yeah, know. it's a big deal. It's a, it's a like a almost like a small city, if you will. Some of the ones that are that are out on the. Um, that are out overseas or out, you know, offshore, I should say. Um, and they're, um, I think in terms of technology, that's one of the main things. Something else that a lot of people don't realize is that they're, even these rigs have been built, the newer ones have been built, um, and have been, um, updated to reduce emissions. So despite a lot of the talk out there, I think people need to get more educated who are on the clean energy side to realize that there has been move, you know, pr- you know, we made huge strides in reducing emissions on these um, rigs, and and so it's not a, you know, it's not a black and white issue. It's a, it's an issue of you know, of technology advancing, and it's not necessarily the most exciting industry, but I think at this point it's a, it's certainly one that has been has performed very well recently, and should. There's no reason to think that it shouldn't in the near future. Yeah, it's um. You know, it, it's it's a fascinating industry, and it's and it's so complicated. I mean, I used to go to those. Uh, did you ever go to? Did you ever, we only got a couple of minutes. Did you ever go to those wacky money shows? 
where they had every conceivable investment on earth. This, the CBOE used to be a big presence there and teaching people how to trade options and stuff, right? This is, they still have them, but I haven't been in one in a long time. But everybody in the world is there. Uh, Dan, it was guys, you know, selling tech, uh, you know, technical type, giving technical classes. There were people with, uh, uh, you know, oil and gas things. There were people with, uh, vending machines on toilet. I mean, any possible way for, to separate you for your, from your cash in a, in a, in a, in a legit, in an alleged investment, uh, uh, was there. And I thought the oil and gas people were fascinating because there's, it's so different. There's spots where, it is. It, it, I think it's a good point because the cycle is also very different. So you think about like 2014 being a, you know, being a an, an interesting point in the cycle where you know the stock market and the credit markets and everything else were performing differently, and you were having, uh, uh, you know, a supply demand the situation that was very different than what was going on globally economically. So it is. It is. I do have the advantage of having done high yields since since my beginning days and, and um, the energy companies have oft, uh, often tapped the high yield market so it's an, it's an industry that we've had to understand and you, like you said it is very complex but um, it is an industry in transition um, I, I really don't like to think of it as an industry going towards extinction I think of, I like to think of it in, as an industry in transition and I like to think that there are opportunities there um, real, real quick Dan we got a dash uh, in 2014, the middle of the year, this has happened before. It was 1,861 rigs. Yeah. And by the same month in 2016, we were down to 417. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's some of that's OPEC also. <laughs> yeah. another, that's another whole dimension and another whole story. <laughs> All right, but have, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. You too. Hey, I sent you hey. something yesterday. I, didn't, I don't know if you got it or not, but uh, well, I sent you a question. If you, if you can see it, if you didn't spam me, um, let me know. Uh, uh, take a look. Uh, I love okay, this stuff. And we're going to take a look at the Spire, too, for a couple of my people. Uh, SP Futures up 17 now. We're leaking some. NASDAQ Futures up 17. We come back. We have Karen Norrington Reeves, who's, uh, uh, going for the congressional spot in the, uh, the, uh, U.S. uh, first district here in Illinois. She's got the uh, endorsement of the Tribune. And it'll be a great interview. She was a great interview last time. And we're really pulling for her. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. 
a longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up 15, so we're leaking. We were up 25 when we came in. As if you just up 100, now they're only up 57. Still bullish, but we went through this a couple of times yesterday. Up, down, up, down, and finished up down. Not near as down as we were in the morning, but it was a, a non-committal day, should we say, yesterday for, by the market. Dow futures up 115. Individual stocks in the Dow causing that. Johnson Johnson up 256. Uh, we've got uh, United Health up 311. Uh, Boeing up 93. And uh, American Express up 195. So virtually all, all green in the Dow. Um, we're in Europe, we've got... Dax down 81 now was, was unchanged earlier. It was actually down a little bit, but now it's down 81. It's 0.6%. FTSE down 1. Call that flat. Back around up 1. Let's call that one flat. So other than the DAX, nobody's doing anything over there. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei up 21.1%. Shanghai up 52. 1.6%. Hang Seng up 265. 1.2%. So, so mainland China is doing well. Uh, Nikkei just kind of bumping along. Uh, yesterday, we finished Dow down 47, uh, S&P down 4, NASDAQ down 16. I'm saying we had a, from top to bottom, we probably had a 325-point move in the NASDAQ. And we finished down 16 like a whole hum, but it wasn't really a whole hum if you were if you were trading it. Uh, bonds, 10-year down 5 uh, basis points at 3.10, which is the lowest we've seen it in a while. Uh, Bund down 17 cents, 17 basis points. 1.45, Japan unchanged at 0.23. We've got oil down 21 cents, 105. Brent down 11 cents, 113. Interesting, oil goes back to 100 dollars. Wow. Natural gas down 11 cents, 674. Again, keep your focus that it was 930, like 
maybe 15 trading days ago. Our Bob unchanged at 383. That gold down a little bit at 590, 18.32. Silver down 27 cents, 21.15. Copper down a dime, 384. So under four bucks now for a while. And we've got Bitcoin up 657, hanging above this 20,000 number at 20,717. Uh, Man 40 F4 traffic weather sports. Yeah, good morning. It's currently 7.36 a.m. on Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. The MLB yesterday, a brief rundown. Uh, Cup, Cubs win in Pittsburgh. Uh, Cubs 14, Pirates 5. White Sox lose to Blue Jays 5-9. And the Diamondbacks versus Padres. Padres win 10-4. The NHL last night, Stanley Cup, Game 4, Colorado Avalanche versus Tampa Bay Lightning. Colorado wins the game 3-2 to and leads the series 3-1. to Game 5 tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now for weather in Chicago, uh, currently partly cloudy, 68 degrees, a high of 88, and a low of 67. Weather in Phoenix, partly cloudy, 86 degrees, a high of 109, and a low of 86 degrees. Uh, traffic in Chicago, traffic eastbound on Eisenhower between 17th Avenue and downtown. Traffic westbound on Eisenhower between Independence Boulevard and 1st Avenue. Traffic eastbound on the Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue to West Irving Park Road. Uh, after that, it gets lighter until the Jane Byrne Interchange. Traffic light uh, westbound on the Kennedy be- until Addison Street until North Nagel Avenue. Heavy traffic, though, westbound on the Dan Ryan between 31st Street and the Jane Byrne Interchange. And finally, traffic northbound on Stevenson between Route 171 and South Kedzie Avenue. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Do we have Miss Karen Norrington Rees? I am here. Hey, how are you? Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on again. Well, I, we we loved it. We, uh, I, I think you uh, uh, you got the endorsement of the Tribune, which is a congratulations on that. I didn't realize the Sun Times doesn't endorse anymore. Do they would they fire their endorsers or what? <laughs> no, the Sun Times is actually now owned by a nonprofit, ah. and uh, according to law, they are not allowed to endorse. Really? See, I learned something all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how, how how does it feel? Uh, I, I'm guessing you are cautiously optimistic, but uh, how, how do you even? With seventeen people are still running, right? Yeah, well, seventeen Democrats are still yeah, running, well, <coughs> and then there's four Republicans. Excuse me. Um, my voice is shot after oh. all the talking and all the forums and all. Um, so yeah, there's 17 folks still in in the uh, in the Democratic primary, um, and I I think I would echo what you said. I feel cautiously optimistic. I'm uh, at once hopeful and you know kind of uncertain <laughs> at the same time. Well, uh, Karen, if you would uh, take us through the, the the nuts and bolts of this. It's, it's a redrawn district but it's reasonably similar to the old district it's not like totally new like some of the ones out west so it's i'd say uh, it's what 80 percent old district or am i wrong on that the election is on yeah, Tuesday. That's a, yeah that's about right that's about right there were about fifty thousand suburban communities added in not not communities but people from suburban areas added into the new district and uh those are I, I'm, I'm going to say those are probably the further south they go. It's probably more uh, white and maybe uh, right leaning. Is that fair or no? Or is that is that not even fair? Yep. That would be accurate. Um, so the the district goes, as I like to say, from Bronzeville to Bourbonnais and Chatham to Shanahan. Wow. So it picks up, you know, also Blue Island, Robbins. And Midlothian, Mokina, 
um, Manhattan, Mantino, all the way down to Bourbonnais, and then um, portions of Joliet over to Manuka, Shanahan area, um, and then every place in between. I was in uh, Homer Glen the other night. Really? So Frankfurt is also part of the township. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, I'd say you're getting a warmer reception in, in Homer Glen and Frankfurt than you might in Bourbonnais, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, how has it been going in those new areas? I mean, uh, have you, how have you been received? I've been well-received. As a matter yeah. of fact, uh, some folks in Kankakee are hosting an event for me tonight. So hey, good for you. I've been all over the place. What yeah, it, I mean, it's just been wonderful. I've gone to meet with uh, the Democratic organizations in every single area, and I've been well-received. Um, I've walked the streets with the folks in Frankfurt knocking on doors. I've been out in Joliet several times. I was actually in Joliet um, Saturday evening. And uh, like I said, it's been I've been well received, and uh, it's been it's been wonderful. What what uh, there has to have been days when you go, why the hell am I doing this? There's probably other days where you're pretty euphoric that I, I'm, I'm I'm so proud of myself for doing this. <laughs> I I have to believe. Uh, <laughs> what, what have what have you learned along the way? Well, it's been interesting. I've only had one day of actual like tears of frustration. Um, but generally, I have grown so, so, so much. I remember at the very beginning of this, one of the consultants I was talking to said to me, you know, I, I said to him it was really important for me to own my voice and to maintain my voice. And he said, you know, that's great. You should continue to do that. He said, but your voice is going to change, and you'll, you'll know it. You'll see your voice change throughout the campaign. And I have definitely seen that. I have conquered fears. I have no qualms with picking up the phone and calling someone I've never met before and asking them to contribute to the campaign and explaining to them the value of my candidacy. And I've grown in terms of really rich relationships and broad relationships that I've been able to develop. Uh, the final place that I've grown in is just awareness of what it takes to run a successful campaign. I certainly can look back and see areas where we needed to shore up some things and things that we could do differently. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud. It's been a great experience. I've, I've just grown tremendously, and I've learned a lot. Well, the people you had helping you, they, they stay with you the whole way, and they improve, too. I mean, they, they grow along. It seems, I, would, I think it would be incredibly fun to do what you're doing. <laughs> you know, so it's funny. Um, when I started this, I won't say who, but I spoke to an elected official, and that person just, was very negative. She was like, oh, campaigning is awful. I mean, she just, she said it was just terrible. And a, a little ways into it, I remember having a con conversation with Congressman Brad Schneider, and he's like, how you doing? I said, I think something's wrong with me. I'm really enjoying this. And he said, no, that's how you know it's your jam. He's like, if you're energized by this, you're in the right space. So I'm energized by it. Karen, I'm gonna, I'll let you in on a secret. The reason why you're on the show is when you talk to me, I felt like I was the only person in the room. That that is a talent that very few people have. You actually, genuinely like talking to people. You can't fake that. Yeah, I do. I enjoy listening to them and learning from them. And sometimes I'm in my head saying, "Talk less." Like I'll get excited about something and ramble, and I have to stop myself and say, "Listen to them. Hear, hear what they're interested in." And it's been, you know, you were talking about connecting with people in the suburban communities. Every single mom that I've talked to in the suburbs 
we have something in common, whether it's around our children, the ages of our children. Um, I met a mom the other night who'd adopted three of her kids. My daughter's adopted. Uh, you know, we talked about the challenges of raising special needs kids and fighting for what you need in the school system. Everywhere I go, I meet somebody that I'm able to connect with. So that's been really gratifying. What, uh, how do you get, when, uh, to move into, to accomplishments here? Last, I think it was last, last election, uh, I, I was, I think it might have been two ago, because time is flying, uh, but I think it was last election, there was, uh, three or four newly elected young Republican people for the House, and, uh, they, I just heard them in, in the car, unfortunately. Now, the next week, they had four, uh, young Democrats. And I felt so sorry for this African American lady because she had totally lost her voice. She had laryngitis. And, uh, but she had been two tours in Iraq, did her law degree. The, the, the resume of those four people were like, kind of like you, were like, this is our future. They're, they're, and yet, I don't know. If, Two years later, are they even running again? Are they frustrated? Did they get to accomplish anything? I mean, most people's view, unfortunately, of politicians comes from the top, where all they see is people seemingly making all kinds of money in the House, uh, seemingly everybody is lining up behind a vote. And, and that's that's not you. That's not these people. That's not Keith Peacock who was in. How does that all get buried where everybody gets basically tarred with the same brush? Yeah, I think that <clears throat> you really have to focus on communicating your accomplishments and communicating uh, your strengths to people in order to really instill hope. I don't think that anyone would look at, for example, Lauren Underwood and think that she's a sellout. Like, that's just not who she is. She's a fighter. And I think we need more people like that. We need more people who come to this space with uh, a focus on, on reverence and respect for the importance of the seat and the importance of the task for the person in the seat. <clears throat> I've really struggled um, the past week with this news that Jonathan Jackson is going to be backed by like a million dollars uh, investment from Bitcoin uh, a Bitcoin billionaire to purchase ads for him. And, you know, it hits me that that is the problem with with politics. It is that helps people to lose faith in their representation if they think that everybody can be bought and sold. And so, you know, I really strive to be a very different messenger than that. Um, I always thought I'm, I'm no constitutional scholar, so I would never debate you on that stuff. I, one of the things that I, I wonder if we had a new convention, imagine who'd go to that thing. Oh, God. Uh, a new, <laughs> <a> new constitutional <laughs> One of the things, this whole concept of, I don't think the founding fathers, when it took, actually I was reading last week, uh, Karen, some of the stupid stuff I read, that it took, when Thomas Jefferson went from Virginia back to Washington or something, it probably took him like 15 days to get there, you know. So, so the thought with any of those guys in, you know, you sitting in New Hampshire and somehow messing with a house election in South Carolina never even crossed their mind, right. you know. And I and right. I wonder. I don't really have a. I, and it's great for you and sixteen other people to. Hey, politics is a bare knuckle. Is a bare knuckle deal in Illinois, right? <laughs> we we all know that. For you to slug it out and yeah. meet people, we don't we don't need ten million dollars from L.A. or New York. I mean, that's 
if somebody in the district wants to do that and tell them I'm, I'm going to give somebody X number of dollars, that's fine. In, I, I don't know how you stop that. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't know if you want to stop it. I don't know if you could stop it. But it seems weird to me that that, that happens. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, what, what, is there a solution to it? You think or no? Well, I think you know the the Supreme Court uh, supported this Citizens United, and you know it really gives outside interests the ability to literally capture your pictures, your identity, your images, and do what they want with them, whether in support of or against you. And so it's um, it, it is very um, freaky to not have any control over that. I, I think also we have to really tamp down on sort of the big money interest in shaping what our government looks like. We're supposed to be of, for, and by the people, and that gets diluted when special interests get in and really shape the complexion and constitution of Congress. Well, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I don't know how you, I mean, regardless of the politics of it, um, just me sitting on the outside here. This whole COVID sort of thing. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going into whether we should have shots, not have shots. But that's not. You're too good for that. You don't need to debate that. But it seems to me that this Pfizer is way too friggin' close. I mean, we're using their study. I mean, they're they're, they're like up. Everybody's behind out there. But I mean, how do you how do you stop that? It just it's. I mean, they're not only making drugs. They're influencing policy. They're seemingly sleeping in the White House. I mean. I, I, to me, just I mean, how do you how do you even go about doing something about that, or, or do you want to? Well, I mean, I think the challenge is how do you balance the need for the science and the need for the innovation with ensuring that there are some boundaries with respect to political influence. That, to me, is where the rub is. I, I don't want to diminish any of the scientific accomplishments and I don't want to um, put a damper on the pursuit of information by the same token you don't want there to be undue political influence and you don't want there to be a lack of competition right so the fact that it's Pfizer all day as opposed to Moderna or Johnson & Johnson or, so, or any other company, you know, um, RPR, um, you want to make sure that there's actual diversity in the field so that that's when we get the best ideas, when there is competition, when there are multiple parties, multiple players working to solve the issues. But when we defer to one alone, that's where we run into problems. And then when we blur those lines between the political boundaries and the scientific or, you know, exploratory boundaries. Well, you, you should be able to, I'm, I'm just imagining that uh, because you have been uh, endorsed uh, by your predecessor, that uh, some of his, I'm assuming you're winning here, by the way, uh, some of his staff might stay and help, <laughs> so you're not going to be showing up the first day look, looking to hire me or something, and I don't know what I'm doing, so that wouldn't help you much. I mean, I would assume you're the transition would be very easy. Is that, I'm, I'm yeah, assuming I, I would assume, first of all, thank you for putting that out into the universe. I pray that I do win. I do think I'm the best candidate. I think I'm the best from a well-rounded perspective in terms of the depth and breadth of my policy experience as well as what my track record with respect to economic development and job creation. That all being said, I do think that 
you know, the congressman and I would be able to have a smooth transition uh, and that, you know, he's got some experienced staff. I've met with his staff both in, uh, actually, I know most of his D.C. staff, and I know a, a couple of folks here in the Chicago office. Um, and so I, I think that there would be a, a, a smooth transition. That doesn't mean that, you know, everybody would stay on. Um, some people might not want to stay, and some may be ready to go. And, uh, you know, I may have other staffing needs. So but I do think it would be we're primed for a good transition. Uh, just out of curiosity, do the, does the staff, are they live in Washington, or are they from here to go back and forth with you? I, I, I don't know any of this stuff. Well, how, do, how does that even work? Yeah, so, so the way it works is you get about a million dollars, I think, maybe a million and some change, and you staff up both offices, D.C. and okay. Chicago. So typically the way most folks do it is that you're, D.C. staff are your policy people, and your folks in at, in your home office are really your district representatives. So they are dealing more with the constituent challenges, whereas your office in D.C. is really dealing more with the policy work and the legislative work. Okay. what what uh, I'm sure you guys have... Uh, I, I had a question that I asked out to my, my people on the show yesterday. All the, all the information that is somebody must have to, to rewrite these districts. Are you privy to that? Do, do you know how all these areas voted last time? or that? Is that something you can dig for, or are they trying to keep it away from you, or is that something that your your people know or can get at? So it's public in terms of the, you know, the um, outcomes for the various elections, and, like, you can get very granular with how each precinct voted, how many people cast a vote, and, um, and you know, the the sort of aggregate information around for whom within the districts, uh, within the precincts. Um, but in terms of, like, what information was relied upon in order to actually redistrict, I believe that that's part of the discussions that are that happen at the state legislative level, and there's access to that information as well. With uh, 17 people run, how, how many votes are you anticipating total, and how many do you think you need to win? Oh, that's a hard one. So the prediction for this election is that the turnout is going to be incredibly low. They're predicting like 15% overall. So the last election, I believe, if I have my numbers right, I can have a a visual memory, and I see these numbers in my head, and I'm trying to make sure I'm not conflating them with something else. But I think it was uh, uh, 120-some-thousand uh, folks that cast a vote before it might have been 151 um, so they're expecting a fraction of that and then of that 15% they think you know someone could win this race with as little as 15% depending on what the turnout looks like um, we know that in our data when folks understand my record of accomplishment my numbers move into the 30th percentile so um you know, I'd really like to have a decisive win and not one of these nail-biters, like where you're, you know, you only win by 100 votes. Um, but I think it's difficult to get a decisive mandate out of a field of 17. Well, some of the some of them, I, I'm assuming, are going to be friends and family <laughs> on the bottom end. And <laughs> <laughs> But, I, you know, it, it's, I helped, uh, I don't know if you remember the name, Nancy Drew Sheehan. She ran for state tr- uh, treasurer yeah. one time. Well, I did, I was on her committee, and, 
and wrote, actually she wrote up a big pamphlet, and, uh, well, we wrote it up for her, and I did the one on the financing, which is pretty simple, because you only invest in U.S. governments, but she ended up losing by not very many, uh, and her campaign manager says, Tom, you know, something like, out of all the people that can vote, like half aren't even registered, and a third of those vote, and she lost by like one percent of those. It's like, you know, he goes, it really gets wow. down to where you know you look at the numbers, and, and he goes, and everybody thinks that these things are like landslides. He goes, there's there's no runoff, but I mean, whoever, if you win by two votes, you're in, right? Right. That's right, right, and it, that's the sad part. I think we really should be looking, having an eye towards runoffs. Uh, the challenge is, you know, then you got to start campaigning all over again. Uh, yeah. You know, I've got uh, a colleague down in Dallas, and she actually just won her race. And, um, you know, she got 50.5% or 50.7%, and she needed 51% to avoid a runoff. Oh, God. I mean, you know, she was devastated having to keep going for another six weeks. It was just, you know, it was a, a big slog. So <clears throat> I do think we could stand to reform our process and allow for, uh, you know, a runoff situation. Uh, currently, it's just a plurality. It, literally, if you get one vote more, then you win. And that there's nothing decisive about that. There's no mandate there. No, no. Well, of course, hopefully I can be one that wins by one vote and says you have a mandate. We've, we've seen that before. <laughs> I don't think you could do that. But let's say it's been done, huh? Yeah, the uh, well, what uh, yeah. what now? What do you do the the final four days when you? I'm sure part of your mind says, "I'm doing good. I've done enough. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing." Another part that has you 24 hours running over to the damn place trying to make up for something. Where, where, where are you on that scale? Yeah, I've been up since two o'clock this morning, wow. um, teeing up emails, text messages. You know, it's just it, running through my brain is, oh, did I do this? Oh, did I do that? Or shouldn't I have done this? Or maybe if I reach out to this person, or I should, you know, make this phone call. So um, I, I think that that's just sort of the nature of the beast, and I, I think I'm just going to give in to it at <laughs> this well. juncture. Uh, I, I will not have a voice come Tuesday at all. Uh, I'm going to continue making phone calls. I'm going to continue reaching out to people, knocking on doors, continuing to raise money to make sure I'm covering all the costs that we have. And I just think you can't let your foot off the gas pedal at this point. It's 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 sort of more of the same, and then more of the thing that you think is going to work. It just it's a well. Plus, you can't very schizophrenic time. Well, you can't guilt yourself because if you didn't make one phone call and you lost by one vote, you'd be thinking the rest of your life that was the vote. <laughs> I know yeah. that's the hard part. Yeah. Like I think you're always going to regret something or. You know, so to do that, um, that Monday morning quarterbacking to figure out, you know, what should have been done differently. I think at the end of the day, by Tuesday at 7 p.m., I want to know that I left it all on the field. Well, I'm going to make sure my family lives in your district, and I'm going to do my best to rouse them to get them to the polls. And because uh, I, I'd have to sneak in, so I don't think you want that because um, I'm in a different district. But, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really pulling for you. I am, and I, and I, I don't want to be able to. Uh, Trace your career. I want to see you do well, and uh, hopefully you won't forget us. You come back on the show once in a while when you're a big when you're a big shot. You know. Well, I thank you so much for your support, and um, by all means, tell your family to get out there. I will. I um, 
I look forward to coming back and uh, talking to you. Whether win, lose, or draw, maybe I'll come back next week, huh? Well, I will tell you this: I was down on the on the south side, and I saw your sign next to the two others. I was tempted to jump out of the car and pull up the two others, but I didn't. <laughs> Don't do that! <laughs> Don't do that! <laughs> how, how south side of that is, is that of me? For God's sake! Jumping I, I, I did not. Uh, and, uh, but your, your your sign was proud. It looked good, so I was happy to see it. Anyway, you take care of yourself, Thank and, and you. good luck. All the luck on this. Uh, SP Futures up Thank 17, so NASDAQ Futures up 80. Uh, back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 708- 349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. One hundred and six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.